The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. And by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just heard a a train horn. On the other side of this concrete wall is a train track. So you might occasionally, (laughs) it's not too often, but it'll probably be be right now. I did hear a train horn. You know what? That's, that wrote you just said is the the perfect intro. I'm joined today by David Ratterman of the pink moon murders, uh, uh, David is is uh, self-proclaimed to be not an audio guy. Uh, we want to warn you guys ahead of time that um, that Dave is re- – we're recording this via Zoom, so it won't be the usual sound quality. And as you heard David just say, <laughs> there's a train track on the other side of the wall right behind him. So everything should be fine. How's it going, David? Good. How are you? I'm doing really good, man. Thanks for joining me a second time. We had uh, – the, the first time we had – uh, there was there was a technical error that I'm going to blame on Erica 100%, and that being that when she put the interview into my calendar and told me she put it in my calendar, she didn't then remind me three times before that that it was coming in. So all her fault, not mine, for forgetting. No worries. I, I've, I've been on both sides of, of the whole late meeting thing. Trust me. <laughs> uh, so you hosted the uh, the Pink Moon Murders, which when I was researching the case, I was, I was like, this case sounds really really familiar and then i realized that it's another iheart media production it was also covered by the it was the piketon massacre who uh stephanie jeff and courtney had been on the show probably last year sometime so we so we went we had a little bit older take on the case and then this february you did a new limited series through iheart that had a lot more interactions and, and and more people involved from the case and things like that um, so we'll get into that in just a little bit, but for those of you that haven't listened to uh, the, the Pink Moon Murders, check it out, and also the Piketon Massacre, there's another, another great one, I'm sure you probably already heard that one. But first I want to get to know you a little bit, David, because it was I was surprised, because when I listened to uh, the Pink Moon Murders, the sound quality and the, and the sound design and everything was fantastic, and then you were like, I don't own a microphone, uh, so... <laughs> How did that shake out? <laughs> well, I was contracted by a company who provided me with a Zoom device, Zoom recorder. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not even sure what it's called exactly. And uh, I screwed it up a bunch testing it out. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, people can tell from my voice in the podcast that I don't have a radio background. I have a more soft-spoken. Uh, some people even, even complained it's a monotone voice. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't come from a radio background. Or, and this is my first podcast. Yeah. I had some technical issues uh, with the device, and uh, even today. D- did you then record it all on your own? Like they're, they were like, "Hey, here's a Zoom recorder and a microphone. Go!" And then you produced it yourself. Yeah, they. Yeah, it it, it was a really wonderful experience with those guys. Um, so so Cavalry Audio, which is which is a division of Cavalry Media, mm-hmm. which is a Los Angeles uh, film and TV production company, uh, contracted me. I'd been out in Los Angeles a couple uh, years ago. To I, I have two other projects 
that uh, books actually that are being adapted to film uh, TV shows mm-hmm. and COVID really set all that back. Right. The time wise. But um, I was out in Los Angeles two weeks, uh, two years ago uh, to meet with the producers, the two teams, each uh, one in the one day and the other team the, the next day. And after one of those meetings, uh, one of the producers said, um, do you have any ideas for other projects? Cause one of those, those two projects one is based in Virginia. One is based in Florida. Mm-hmm. And this woman, the producer said, do you have any ideas for other projects? Cause these two sound good. And this was in uh, mid 2019, I guess. And I said, well, I grew up outside Cincinnati. I went to Ohio university three hours away. And then in the middle in 2016, a family of eight was shot to death in their sleep one night. So I've thought about doing a book about it. And then a few months later, she emailed me and said, would you be interested in doing a podcast about that? And I said, sure. sounds fantastic. And uh, then I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> no, I'm joking, but, but um, I, I hadn't really listened to podcasts. Uh, the only one I'd listened to was serial mm-hmm. back then. And then um, I went and listened to Dr. Death and a couple others. And um, you know, I felt, I felt I could do the research. I felt I could do the writing and uh, I was contracted by Cavalry, who who really was hands off. They were really trusting of me in the process. And then after I was finished with the research and writing, uh, I was in out there. I live in Florida right now, and this took place in Ohio. But um, so I was in Los Angeles to record it, and um, they, the the studio did a fantastic job with the recording or with the uh, cleaning up my voice and mm-hmm. all my little uh, speaking mistakes and stuff. Right. Yeah. There's nothing better than a good editor that I've, I've had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Casey Wayland, a, a little shout out for him. He was the, uh, the producer. He was great for this, for the sound, sound editing and sound effects and everything. Yeah. I was, when I, when I first started my career, I would have you know, people like, he's, he's just such a good speaker. He just did an hour long podcast and never said, um, or, hmm, or stammered over a word, not even once. I'm like, right. That's what happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they were great for helping me out as a first time podcaster. Um, I've only done one radio interview and that was like 12 years ago. So uh-huh. I just had uh, no, no audio background. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it came out amazing. And, and honestly, the way that it's produced, which would be really the way it was written by you was just riveting. I mean, so this is, this is a story that I was vaguely familiar with from, you know, sampling and then listening to a little bit of, or uh, listening to some of, and then speaking with the host of the Piketon massacres, but it was just, I was just riveted by the production that you put together. It's a limited series. It was nine episodes it just came out this past February. So you guys are done with it now, right? Yeah. Yeah. They put out, they released two episodes the first day, I guess, just to build some momentum. And then it was once a week. So nine episodes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. So, so tell me a little bit about yourself. So you went to, um, Ohio university's script school of journalism, right? So your, your, your background is journalism. Yeah. A lot of outsiders think it's Ohio state university, but, uh, Ohio state's up in Columbus. Ohio university is in Athens, which is in Appalachia, uh, three hours from Cincinnati, um, toward West Virginia, close to Kentucky. And, uh, these murders, the murders of the Roden family took place in, uh, two hours from where my parents live outside Cincinnati in an Appalachian rural part of Ohio. So um, I was, I was not a complete outsider, but you know, I, I definitely needed people warming up to me and having gone to Ohio university really opened a lot of doors for me. I was, con- I was considered 
uh, almost a, a local, not, not exactly, but almost a local. Sure. So between when you did the podcast in this case and when you graduated college, you, you've, you've always worked as a writer and editor. Um, Erica tells has in my notes here that you were a gambling columnist. What, what, does, yeah. what does a gambling columnist do? That, see, I, that's my, what's a podcast question. What does the gambling yeah, uh, columnist do? Well, I, I have a journalism background. I was a features correspondent, features correspondent for the South Florida Sun Sentinel uh, for about, well, from 2000, end of 2001 till a couple of years ago with a, with about a three or four year gap in the middle, actually another gap for about two years too. But um, so I was just a features writer for a newspaper here. And uh, at one point, my editor asked if I would want to write about the casinos here. Uh, we have 13 casinos in South Florida. Mm-hmm. And similar to this podcast, um, I was I was new. I just hadn't, you know, done anything with casinos, really. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was a typical guy who would play poker with friends and relatives occasionally. I went to a slot machine or uh, to a casino maybe once every year or two. I just wasn't really a, a gambling guy. But there's a lot more to casinos than just gambling. There's, um, you know, it's a lot of entertainment. But like I said, with our 13 casinos in South Florida, uh, and a couple of them have dog tracks or horse tracks connected to them or high alive. So, uh, and then entertainment venues connected to them. So there was a lot to write about. I, I was not a gambler per se, but being a curious journalist, I was able to just ask the who, what, where, when, why, and how, and get stories Every week, it was a weekly column. I did that for two and a half years. Okay, and then you um, also see that you you did some writing for a National Geographic book, a travel book. Yeah, I worked on that. Um, I was hired for that in two thousand four. I think it came out in two thousand five. Uh, this other guy wrote it, and I was hired uh, probably three years after that was released to update it. So I took out a bunch of pages, added a bunch of pages, and then the pages that remained, I just updated. And then I worked on it again, 2008 or 2009. And then the final time, 2013, of course, uh, there's that migration away from di- from books to digital products. Mm-hmm. So that book is out of print, I think, now. But um, So that was a great experience. I also freelanced. National Geographic had a magazine called Adventure. So I freelanced for National Geographic Adventure magazine. And even their website, uh, Nat Geo, Nat Geo's website ran a couple of photos of mine. Um, so that was great. I mean, it was, it was a great experience. I think my proudest moment about that was they hired me back (laughs) after a couple of years in the middle. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that's important when you're self-employed, you want to keep good relationships, keep, keep good products and everything. So yeah, it was a good project, uh, good process. So have you worked primarily as like a freelancer or independent? Yeah, I, I, I've been self-employed for, uh, oh, about 15 or so years. But um, I also edit books, of course, this podcast. I've got two other books I mentioned uh, a little early, earlier, but um, one is set in Virginia. One is set in Florida. The Virginia one I finished, the, Virgin- the, the Florida one is about half finished. And, um, you know, just the way my, my workflow is, I'm not working on the, the Florida book right now because my book agent wants to have the two projects go into further into development mm-hmm. before we really pitch the books. It gets a little complicated, but um, yes, I'm self-employed. I've got those other projects. I'm a book editor right now. I mean, as far as today, because we finished this, uh, the, the Road and Murders podcast, um, as far as the work process on that, we may end up doing more 
And then, yeah, so, and I've been a journalist for many years. So it's just every, every day or every month has different projects. That's cool. Do you, do you prefer it that way or would it, would you, you ever come a time where you're wishing to just work for a newspaper where you just had the same thing to do every day and a steady paycheck? Well, not for a newspaper. No. <laughs> they, they, they lay off everyone. Right, right. I worked for, uh, I was uh, a features correspondent for the South Florida Sun Sentinel, which for most of my time was part of Tribune out of Chicago. And it was a major newspaper, um, newspaper chain. And um, it was, they, they went through so many layoffs that my attitude became, I love research and writing, and I just want to find a way to keep that lifestyle, you mm-hmm. know, pay the bills and uh, keep moving forward. And then uh, the last like three, four years, I've had those other two projects I mentioned, as well as this uh, Rodin's podcast. So I've been, you know, it's a lot of long hours, a lot of 12 hour days mm-hmm. to keep everything going. I mean, this podcast has done really well. So I have no complaints about that, but it, it was years and years of grinding it out with, with 12 hour days to get to this point. So. Sure. And you said you were in LA because you said two of your, were there two of your books that were being made for TV or are being, being developed? Yeah. So one is, um, uh, finished. That's the Virginia one. The other one is, a, is Florida. And that's about half finished time-wise. Research-wise, I'm about uh, 80% finished. But just as far as writing it out, I've got this manuscript that's uh, half finished in the front. Mm-hmm. And then the back half is uh, bullet points, Yeah, uh, you know, just with my raw notes that I, I need about three or four months to, to finish putting it into you know, prose. Um, but yeah, so those two projects, I, I was represented a few years ago when I was starting this new direction in my career. Uh, I was looking for large projects to be self-employed, to be mm-hmm. quite honest. And uh, that included this Virginia book, in, which which took a long time. Um, and then the, the, the Florida one. And when I was working on both of those, my book agents were able to get some Hollywood interest to adapt them. They're both really unique. Um, I'd rather not tell you what they are now. Maybe <laughs> maybe off. Maybe later I'll tell you off because I have some confidentiality agreements. Sure. And, and interestingly, the day before, I think it was the day before this, the podcast launched uh, February 22nd, I think it was the day, be- day before, two days before I wrote um, on the Facebook page. Um, it's interesting how of my three big projects I've been working on for the last few years, the one I started last is the first to hit the market. Sure. And that's the, the Roden uh, podcast. So uh, yeah, it's tough. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's tough. It's complicated. It's definitely not easy to keep all the balls afloat, especially um, with COVID. COVID just kicked our butt as far as, uh, you know, setting everything back. So I'm I'm sort of between a rock and a hard place today, simply because um, I'm waiting for my book agent to pitch the two books and he just doesn't want to pitch until the TV goes a little farther. So it's it's interesting. Um, It's an interesting process. And when I was younger, Growing up in Ohio, I, I never thought I'd be in this position. I mean, this is actually a dream position I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I wish it would go a little faster. Right. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah. Are the, can you talk about uh, what genre these are? Are they true crime or? What? Uh, they're actually both memoirs okay. that I'm, I'm officially co-writing. Okay. But, but both men, neither man is a writer. Uh-huh. Uh, neither one comes from any kind of uh, writing background. Uh, matter of fact, neither one graduated college. I mean, they, they just didn't develop writing school uh, skills throughout mm-hmm. their careers, but they're really unique men. And uh, I was able to partner with them just to, um, to write memoirs. They're really fascinating people. 
Now, this story, the the Roden murders, uh, was this originally intended to be a TV series and turned into a podcast, or was it always going to be a podcast? No, I mean originally, I, I thought I considered a book. Okay, um, books are incredibly time consuming. They are difficult, um, just for the because a lot of times writers, you know, being self employed, it's not easy. Uh, you know, everyone knows the the, the trajectory of book reading. It, people don't read books like they used to. There's so many options and all that. So the market is down. And then on the other hand, there are so many authors because just more people are getting writing skills with computer with, with computers. And um, so the book market has been really tough. So I, I had thought about doing a book, but I was in no position to take off all these months or even a year or two to just work on it. I mean, I, you know, I just couldn't do that um, resource wise. So um, after I mentioned it to this producer out there, uh, and then she emailed me, it was like two or three months later, and asked if I'd want to do a podcast. I was like, huh, yeah, sure. I mean, it sounded really interesting. And then the company that that um, contracted me, Cavalry, Cavalry Audio, uh, like I said, a division of uh, Cavalry Media, they, they've produced some really big uh, shows and films. Mm-hmm. So um, I was I was delighted to be partnered with them. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, detachment, fatigue, and more. I'm definitely no stranger to burnout. I absolutely love what I do, but if I don't find a way to unplug occasionally, I'll lose my mind. And I think that that's the case regardless of what you do for a living or what you have going on in your life. Doing the same thing over and over again is tough. It just is. We typically associate burnout with work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feeling burned out, and BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing the stress in your life. There have been many times in my life when I was feeling completely overwhelmed, and for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what the root cause was. Things finally turned around for me when I took the step of seeing a professional therapist. Sometimes we all just need a little help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anybody on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And True Crime Binge listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com binge. That's BetterHelp.com binge for 10% off your first month. Right. So now when you started covering the case, like I said, the, you know, it was covered a while back by the Piketon Massacre podcast, but they didn't they didn't really have access to a lot of the people involved. And I thought that wasn't there like a gag order at some point on the case? Still is. There still is. So, so how were you able to get the access that you got in this podcast? Well, OK, so that that's actually really interesting and important from my standpoint. So I was using my parents house outside Cincinnati. Um, as my home base when I was traveling from Florida to Pike County to um, to interview people or just go to courthouses for research or whatever. Mm-hmm. The final, well, at the time, I thought it was my final trip. Early March 2020, I thought, well, I think I'm finished with my research. I've got plenty of research for this. Um, why don't I just drive this time instead of flying from Florida? So I arrived at my parents' house on March 5th. And if you remember, the following week is when all hell broke loose right. with COVID. 
NBA, NHL, March Madness, everything was canceled Mm -hmm. that second week of March. So I was at my parents' house. Uh, My dad got about the the, pretty much the last elective surgery on the Tuesday of that week. It must have been like March 10th or whatever. And he had a foot foot issue. It was not an emergency, but it was also really not elective. Anyhow, that's why I planned to go to Ohio that specific week mm-hmm. to to coincide with my what I thought was my last week of research. And then with all hell breaking loose in the country, um, I ended up just staying at my parents' house for a few months and um, periodically going to uh, Pike County two hours away. Um, and there was even a lot, um, some weeks, I, I'd have to research it, but some weeks where even if I wanted to get back to, oh, to Florida, I couldn't because... Kentucky and uh, uh, Kentucky and Tennessee closed their borders. Okay. So you couldn't drive down 75 to Florida for, for several weeks or even months. I don't recall the exact oh, wow. time. So I was pretty much stuck in Ohio at my parents' house, helping my dad, who was in a wheelchair for the first time in his life. And then also going back and forth to Pike County, wearing masks, going to the courthouse. Uh, it was tough. COVID was tough for that project also. And then, um, you know, but to answer your question... Um, how did I get, you know, getting access to people? It was like the army, just boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I just showed up. I was, I spent close to a hundred nights in Pike, Soda, Ross, Adams counties, just, you know, just showing up, making small talk with hotel clerks, people at courthouses and, you know, people warmed up to me eventually, not always that first day, waitresses at restaurants, bartenders, uh, just old-fashioned uh, gumshoe reporting, basically, and and that was that was really important. So people warmed up. So, for example, um, I stayed in at an Airbnb in Southern Ohio, uh, making small talk with the owner, this lady, and she said um, she had worked for a veterinarian who took care of the Wagner animals. So, if the listeners don't know, the Wagners are the family who was arrested in the rodent murders with four of them being charged with aggravated, each was charged with eight counts of aggravated murder. Two great grandmothers were arrested and charged with felonies as well. One pleaded down to a misdemeanor. The other one had charges dropped, but still could have charges reinstated. So when I found out this woman said she had worked for the veterinarian who took care of the Wagner animals, they, they really had a land empire in Pike County with, mm-hmm. uh, and still do with horses and other animals as well as agriculture, about 1,800 acres on their farm. So when I found out about this veterinarian who took care of their horses, dogs, other animals, I thought, oh, I this is great. I wonder if I can meet this guy. So she, after my third or fourth day there at this woman's Airbnb, she she called him and said, you know, hi, I'm with David, this, this writer, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, real talkative. He's like, yeah, hi, you know, and then we met. And uh, that was just one example. Another example, I don't know if you can hear the train in the background. No, right I now, don't hear it. <laughs> and another example was just showing up at courthouses. And I would have deputies tell me, well, I'm not allowed to talk about it because of the gag order. I said, okay, I get it. And then sometimes they would say, but if I would talk about it, this is what I would say. Okay. And so it just became off the record. I mean, they didn't, even, they don't necessarily use that phrase. It's off the record. Um, me coming from a journalist, a print background, um, if someone you know says it's off the record, that that's clear. Uh, what was interesting for me with this podcast is I had a Zoom re- recording device, so I had to uh, get them to sign a release form, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so it was more complicated. Besides the person telling me off the record or on the record, I just didn't have the device 
necessarily. I didn't have them sign a, a release form. So, um, but anyhow, there were a lot of times where it was off the record. And, and there certainly were times it was on the record. Uh, I spent uh, five days at the Pike County map, map, I think it was called the map, map appraiser's office. And these two ladies there were helping me study maps mm-hmm. because it was interesting to me that a lot of people call it the Piketon murders or Pike County murders. And it wasn't, it really wasn't. It was 20, 20 miles from Piketon where most of the murders took, where all the murders took place about 20 miles from Pike, Piketon. And then um, the, even the murders, about half of them took place outside of Pike County, which I didn't know either till I got there. And I spent days at the, at the map appraiser's office, the property map appraiser's office. And uh, these ladies were helping me with maps out, old paper maps from surveys decades ago, recent satellite maps, all these different research or tools. And uh, so there was like a point where I was noticing that the little squiggle of the borders between Pike County and Scioto County and even Adams County. There's like those three counties pretty much touch, not, not necessarily a triangle, but sort of a triangle. Mm-hmm. And um, Dana Roden's property touched Adams County, but was in Scioto County, pretty much directly across from Pike County. And it's a one lane, maybe two lane, that's uh, two lanes, but it's really one, uh, two narrow lanes. So those little details became interesting to me because I was like, this is not a Pike County murder or half of it is for the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it certainly wasn't piped in. So, um, you know, for me with my journalism kicking in and research and desire to have the truth come out, I was just really going nuts with the research really in depth with all that. You know, I just went, I went really deep with the research on a lot of that. Yeah, it, it it came out amazing. There's so much information, especially having, like I said, I knew a little bit about the case, but you get so much more in in your podcast. So, so tell us a little about, bit about the case. It, I know there was there were eight members of the Roden family that were all shot and killed, but they were murdered across four all in one night across four different homes. Sounds like in two different counties. This big family annihilation. So, tell us about the case. Yeah. So, the night of April twenty first, twenty second. 2016, um, in the middle of the night, there were um, eight members of the Roden family who were shot to death in their sleep. Uh, it seems a couple of them might have fought back. At least one of them, Chris Roden Sr., fought back because the autopsy results showed he had nine wounds, including on his wrists or his forearm, uh, probably from fighting back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the dad, the guy in his um, uh, late 40s. So he, he fought back. Um, the others being um, his ex-wife, their three kids, and then um, one's fiance, uh, that Chris Roden Sr.'s brother, and then also uh, cousin. So those are the eight. They were all Rodens, all shot to death in the middle of their in the middle of the night. Most were sleeping. Several were shot once in the head. Uh, two of them, and this may be too graphic for some listeners, but um, so just a little warning, but. Uh, two of the two of the moms, one was 19 and one was 20. The 19-year-old had her four-day-old baby, her four-day-old infant, in her arms when she was shot to death. And you know, to be graph- graphic or tell the truth, the br- brain and blood just shot all over the infant mm-hmm. and uh, splashed. And then the same thing with the 20-year-old mom. Her six-month-old was in her arms in bed between her and her fiance, Frankie Roden. So when police did arrive, um, they saw this infant or six-month-old sleeping between the two parents who were who were bloody, uh, mm-hmm. dead. You know, and um, so it was really horrific, horrific. I think this is among the most 
horrific crimes in American history. A lot of times people talk about the worst crimes and think that Charles Manson or something like that. Well, this doubles the murders that Manson did. And certainly there were other you know, mass murders out there. And I'm, I know you've covered some of them. And, but this one's really rough, just the way the mothers were killed. People are sleeping. And it was a whodunit. Nobody even knew who or why it was done for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then one day uh, in November 2018, the four members of the Wagner family were arrested, charged with eight counts of aggravated murder each with uh, several other felonies. I think it was 22 felonies total. Jake Wagner had a 23rd charge added, which was uh, sex with a minor because he was an adult. I believe he was 20 and Hannah Mae Roden was 15 when she became pregnant. Mm-hmm. So, and then um, do you want me to give, give more toward the end as far as any kind of resolution or do yeah, you sure. leave it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, where, where it stands now is um, Jake ended up pleading guilty in tw- uh, April, 2021. And then a few months later, his mom, Jake pleaded guilty to everything. His mom, a few months later, pleaded guilty to everything except the aggravated murders. So she has a plea deal for 30 years in prison uh, for felony. Uh, some of the other felonies included like moving a corpse, which is a felony in, in Ohio, and perjury, uh, obstruction of justice, and just a variety of felonies. And um, then the other two people, which is so the four names, Jake Wagner, who had the, a baby with Hannah Roden, his brother, George, and their mom and dad, Angela and Billy. Those are the four arrested. Billy and George are still fighting the charges. Um, I've been going up. The last time I was at a court hearing was in February. Those mm-hmm. uh, George and Billy had hearings two days in a row. So that's the last time I was up there. It was actually well after I recorded the uh uh, this podcast series, but I just wanted to keep going up there to pay attention, to be there in person, boots on the ground, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and uh, just talking with people. Yeah. Now the uh, the Wagners that are still fighting it have, I'm, they've got to have an uphill battle because the was it Jake? Which, which one was it? Jake that pled guilty and and testified against the rest of the family. Yeah, he promised to testify against them. Okay, he gave testimony in. To the prosecutors, he, he proffered his testimony, which um, means he told the prosecutors what he did specifically. He admitted to five of the murders. It doesn't mean he necessarily did all five. It means he admitted to five. And the distinction is he may be trying to save his brother or dad, who still are pending jury trials. Mm-hmm. So maybe Jake did kill all five. Uh, or maybe he's just trying to save his brother or her or his dad or their dad. Um, bear in mind, this is a death penalty case in Ohio. All four were facing the death penalty um, by Angela pleading guilty to lesser crimes, uh, just the other felonies, and Jake providing testimony to the prosecutors. Um, the prosecutors took the death penalty off the table. So as long as Jake ends up testifying in court, against his dad and brother, there will be no death penalty, um, which is actually interesting because Ohio has already taken the death penalty off the table uh-huh. for the most part. I mean, it's still there on the books, but um, that's getting off the subject. So um, so Jake pleaded guilty to five of the murders. The, there were weapons found, um, shell casings found from three weapons at the crime scenes. Uh, most likely, Angela did not fire a weapon 
mm-hmm. at the crime scenes um, because first of all, the prosecutors accepted her plea bargain without the aggravated murder charges and three shell casings from three weapons were found. So most likely it was her husband and their two sons who fired the weapons. What was the, what was the motive? Why did, you know, this family feud, why did, why did the Wagners all join up together to murder the entire Roden family? Yeah, that's why this is uh, among the most horrific crimes. Uh, Mike DeWine at the time was Ohio's attorney general. He's now Ohio's governor. And interestingly, even though he presided over the uh, investigations, when he became governor, he said he's not going to sign death penalty, uh, death warrants. So that's sort of an interesting aside. This this is a case that still fascinates me. And every time I talk about it, my brain goes in in 20 different uh, directions. Mike DeWine at an early press conference after the arrests said, um, this is one of the craziest crimes I've ever seen. And he speculated that it might be child custody. Jake Wagner Mm -hmm. wanted the baby, the two and a half year old daughter that he and Hannah Roden shared. That's freaking nuts. I mean, I I know guys who will kill not to have custody or at least not pay child support. Right. Yeah. This is a guy who, who, this is a guy who theoretically, according to the attorney general at the time, um, killed to get custody got his brother, mom, and, and their mom and dad to go along with it. That's one theory. That's what Ohio Attorney's General, Ohio's former attorney general said. Nothing else has really been publicly stated as far as a theory. Uh, the gag order prevented some, some, of, some of the high-level prosecutors from speaking about it. I, I did speak with Rob Junk and Angela Canepa uh, a few times, but um, that was at the courthouse. Um, they said, I can't, th- th- those two like, are definitely gagged by the judge. Um, they just were given some general comments with like Cincinnati's ABC reporters and other people around. So that was the only public statement as far as custody. I think, and in the podcast, we have this friend of uh, Chris Roden Jr., who was 16 years years old at the time of the murders. His friend, um, this young woman said that she thinks it was good old fashioned jealousy because Hannah Mae Roden broke up with Jake Wagner and um, then was dating another boy got pregnant by him. It was a short relationship and she was dating another boy at the time of the death. So good old fashioned jealousy, which has been around as long as uh, Shakespeare, the Bible and humanity, that was an issue. And then, then I think one of the most intriguing aspects of this, and this is speculation, which I really don't do in the podcast. I try to stick to facts, mm-hmm. but I, I will speculate here. The Wagners, as I mentioned earlier, are among are the largest landowner in Pike County mm-hmm. with the 1,800 acres. Uh, about half of their land is farmed out to locals who pay rent. They grow soybeans and other crops. The other half, uh, approximately, the other half of their farm has, uh, well, on the perimeter, they rent out little lots for people who have... Um, uh, little uh, contracts, like a rent-to-own type of contract, maybe get a quarter acre on the perimeter of this huge farm. Mm-hmm. And you can rent, a, I mean, for example, a quarter acre, and then maybe pay it off over 30 years. Okay. And then um, if you, you know, so that was another form of income for the Wagners. But the, the, the most interest, interesting part is they, not so much now, but they were for decades and decades, one of America's most prestigious horse breeders. If you know the, the sport of dressage, 
which is that Olympic sport where the horses sort of prance around and, mm -hmm. uh, but it's an Olympic sport. The, the Wagners were one of America's prestigious dressage horse breeders. And they also bred miniature horses that they sold to the, the Kings of France, uh, sorry, the Kings of Spain and Morocco and the Sultan of Brunei. Their children competed in horse events around the country. This is a very high end family for anywhere in the United States. And to put this family into Pike County, where it does have a lower economic level for the most part, certainly Waverly, the this county seat has bankers and lawyers and stuff, but the rural parts can be a little hard scrabble. And in that regard, where the Wagner farm was located, is located, they were almost like I've heard the term royalty used within quotation marks. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't like that term, but it does show that they were extremely they were very rich. Um, they they were considered prestigious. Interestingly, a lot of people in in Pike County and Scioto County and Ross and Adams didn't really know the Wagner family. But I think that's because they really kept to themselves. Mm -hmm. Their children were all homeschooled. They just really kept isolated on their farm when they weren't out breeding or going to events around the country. Uh, and then just to carry on with the the, the go going to events around the country. For years, they had a calliope. If you know what that is, that's that musical instrument. Like, do, 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 do. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was popular, yeah. popular in circuses like 100, 150 years ago, organ music. They would have miniature horses pulling that, a calliope, with their kids in the back while they were at uh, horse events around the country, horse shows. And, uh, and then they would have kids, their kids compete in it, including Billy Wagner. It was just a fun marketing tool. That was one example, and um, you know they they had some other examples. Um, they uh, they would attach around a team of eight miniature horses to a, a Roman chariot, and uh, we have the, the veterinarian who speaks in the podcast. He watched this when he was on their property. Um, they even let him get in the chariot and let the horses pull him around for fun one day. So they would have that go out also. So this is a very high-end type of family for, for that rural part of Ohio. And um, so, so to circle back to the, the motive, that's how the Wagners grew up. Billy and their, his two sons, George and Jake, those three. Of course, Billy married Angela. Angela is, I believe, what you would call dirt poor when she grew up. I mean, mm -hmm. her, that's everything I've heard leads to that. When her mom was charged with felonies connected to this, the murders, perjury and um, forgery, uh, her mom's attorney said in court, yes, yeah, she's poor. She uh, was having her electricity turned off and some other um, issues, uh, if I remember all the details. So that's how Angela grew up. She was in the military for a year, which is unusual. That's a very short period for enlistment. I mm -hmm. couldn't figure out why she was in the Air Force for only one year. But after she got out, she moved to a trailer, which lo and behold, was on was on the perimeter of Flying W Farms, where the Wagners lived, okay. still live. And the, the trailer next to her was where young Billy Wagner was living. They were both about 19 years old. Mm -hmm. So Billy had gotten off his mom and dad's main property, just lived, moved to the perimeter, which was typically rented out to locals. But um, and they had trailers next to each other. They, they you know, fell in love, I guess. And then uh, the rest is history for their relationship. But Angela saw firsthand how difficult life is when you're poor. And then she married into this fabulously wealthy 
family, at least from her perspective. Mm -hmm. And then when she had a granddaughter and there was a custody issue between her son and that baby's mom, I, again, I don't speculate much, but it does seem that Angela thought there's no way I'm letting my granddaughter grow up with that poor family when my granddaughter can grow up with the rich Wagners. Mm-hmm. So that that socioeconomic issue cannot be understated. I haven't heard a lot of talk about that. I've heard zero talk about that publicly. People have whispered that to me, um, and I believe that's a really important factor here. Okay, so. Jack, when he uh, was arrested, or, or excuse me, Jake, when he was arrested and pled guilty, did he not tell what the motive was, or is that just part of the gag order, which is probably in place because they're still pending trials? Yeah. It, it, well, so what's interesting in the, in the real world, um, compared to television shows, for example, motive is, is not an issue. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors don't care why you killed. Right. They care if you killed. The, the Ohio's attorney general talked about the child custody issue. It really didn't come out more than child custody issue. Any other potential theories of, of I, I think there was a confluence of, of motives, mm-hmm. you know, with, with jealousy, socioeconomics. Maybe Angela Wagner even wanted a daughter because there was uh, testimony that she wanted the little girl to call her mom mm-hmm. instead of grandma. She had two sons, no, no daughters. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot going on there. But what's, what's most interesting, I think, is this family colluded. They worked together. They consp- the word the prosecutors use is conspired. They conspired together to, to carry these out. And when you think about the planning, I mean, the, the, the Wagners bought... Captain America masks during the murders to wear during the murders. Um, like they planned this out well in advance. Mm-hmm. So to have those people plan this out so secretly for so long and then carry it out is just mind boggling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. And then to wipe out regardless of the motive to wipe out a whole family like that. It's, it's crazy. Well, to get more, to hear more about the case and to hear from some people you've never heard from before, Get all the details. Uh, you can check out The Pink Moon Murders. His name is David Ratterman, and once again, that podcast is called The Pink Moon Murders. Check it out. It's a limited series, nine episodes. Could be your next big true crime binge. David, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure to meet you. And the, and the trains weren't even an issue. <laughs> I heard people talking in the hallway, though. <laughs> <laughs> Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.